a seat. And thank you to Cameron and the band for leading us this morning. So cool whenever our members um, have so many cool gifts and talents. And Cameron, um, really appreciate him stepping up and leading us this morning. And so my name is Wade Bryant, and I am the pastor over high school and emerging generations. And, and I'm here to speak to you. I normally, uh, I get the privilege to speak every Wednesday to our students, our high school students, and always love the, the chance I get to speak in big church, right? You know, to, to get the call, Mike called in the righty, came up here to the big league. So uh, now really excited um, to speak to you. I, uh, more than anything, um, God has placed in me a love for his bride. And, and so right now, God is allowing me to love his bride through speaking and, and sharing the gospel with teenagers. But I love whenever I get to speak to the, the church body um, because God has just called me to love his bride well. And so tonight, today, um, this morning, we're going to talk about a subject over fear not, which is just so great. Like, you know, just talk about some heavy stuff of fear and stress and anxiety, different things like that. And so, but it is a, a very relevant message and topic. I, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things to say fear not. It's, it's one of those things that's easily, easy to say and hard to practice, right? It's easy to say, well, have no fear, but it's really hard to put into practice. I mean, we, we might have looked at Psalm 23 on a plaque, right, for our entire lives. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. We might have seen that our whole lives, but to actually start practicing that and living without fear is, is a lot more hard right? It's, it's, it's difficult. And so we are coming off a series that Mike just shared with us called End of the Rope. End of the Rope. And, and so, so this End of the Rope series, Mike talked a lot about how we are, are through various circumstances, through sickness, through death, through hard times, through chronic illness, as Leadra shared, um, through unexpected times, we can get into this place where we feel like we're just at the end of it all. And, and even though he spoke about the hope and the victory, the reality is that when we start climbing up that rope and a similar circumstance comes into play, it's hard for us because of these past experiences not to fear, right? It's hard for us to keep climbing up that rope no matter what. And so this fear not, again, if you haven't listened to that series, go and listen to it. It's, it's so incredible. Um, go online and listen. But this fear really comes into play in every circumstance. Last weekend, our students went through the one weekend, one of our biggest student events of the year, and it was all centered around this idea of leap, taking a leap of faith. And they were encouraged, they were equipped all weekend long to think, okay, what can I do to boldly live for the kingdom? And the reality of it is, is that on Monday, when they started to think about these leaps of faith, I guarantee you most of them were, were faced with this fear of, okay, if I do this, if I work for God's kingdom, if I do this bold thing, then how's that going to look to everybody else? Am I going to be judged? Is it going to fail? Am I good enough to do that? And fear settles in. And so the reality is that we are all fearful. 
right? We all have fear. There's, there's not many people that don't have a fear at all. And so what I want you to do right now at the bottom of kind of your bulletin, there is a little that thing that says, my current fear is, and I, there's a blank. And I just want you to write that. Okay. Now don't be ashamed. Like don't cover it up and put like clowns, you know, like, like, I mean, just embrace this fear. What is your current fear? Is it a, is it a relationship that you're in? Is it getting fired? Is it not knowing if you're going to get hired? Is it a marriage that's falling apart? What, what is your current fear? And so write that down. And I want you to be thinking about that and massaging that throughout this entire message. And, and, but before we get too heavy, I, you know, I can't like, I can't just start off like guns blazing. So I got to take a moment to just talk about some random phobias. Okay. Um, there are some weird phobias out there, um, in, in this world. And so if this first phobia, if someone has this, you probably already know it. Um, because you're sitting next to them and there would be a pungent smell coming from their general direction. It is called ablutophobia and it's the fear of bathing. Okay. And so, so if, if, you know, you have this, then, you know, sorry to everyone around you. Um, you have this, I don't know if this extends to like showers, you know, like, I don't know where they are. This one is new, um, only probably in the last 20, 25 years. And uh, I guarantee you probably 90% of us have experienced this at some point. It is called nomophobia. And it is when you have a fear, a legitimate fear of losing cell phone reception. (laughs) Or your phone battery dying or not having, you know, that bionic connection to your arm, your phone, right? And, and so I know for sure students are like, when they're, it's like, oh my gosh, 2%, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And there, there are times where this should be a legitimate fear, right? If you are going through the woods, your car breaks down, you start hearing banjos and you have no cell phone reception, you know, like that is a legitimate time to have this phobia. But in reality, you know, I know this is hard, but, but it, it is, it's true. It's a real phobia. This one, um, I, I just, I don't know how, or, you know, just, okay. Um, homophobia, which is a fear of belly buttons. All right. And, you know, like, I don't know how you rectify this, like, cause everyone has one, right. You know, um, I think unless you have a genetic deformity, but like, do you like cover that up like with duct tape or like, what do you do? And is like an any scarier than an Audi. Cause it's like, I don't know what's in there. You know, like, I mean, like where, I, I don't know. But anyways, that, that's a legitimate phobia. This last one, if, we, if you haven't had this, you probably have it now. Um, looking at the political landscape, it's politicophobia. And uh, it's a fear of elections or politics in general. And so you might be looking out in this world and be like, yep, I got that one now. You know, like that's new, but yeah. Uh, but, but here's the deal. With, with all these fears, with all the things going on, when, with all the things that we legitimately fear, we have one of two choices, right? We can allow that fear to overtake us or we can have faith that God is big enough and he's already overcome it. And so I would even say for this fear of elections, and it's okay to be fearful of the outcome of the election, but ultimately, ultimately we have to point to Jesus and say, you know what, you've already won victory and I trust you. And so I urge you, as Paul urged Timothy, to first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people 
for kings and all those in authority. And so we need, to, instead of being fearful and blasting on Facebook how scared we are, to go to our knees and to say, you know what, I'm going to pray for all those in authority. I'm going to pray for God to win out because God's desire is that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of him. And so let's remember that as we kind of go on. Let's start with the definition of fear, all right? First of all, it is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Let me just kind of let you in on my childhood fear, okay? It came about every Thursday night when I had to take out the trash. And I was seven years old, and uh, in my mind, I was from a small town of like 2,800, and uh, I lived in a pretty okay neighborhood, but there's, in small towns, there's always shady people, you know what I'm talking about? And so I had it in my mind that every time I would go out at night to take the trash out, that someone was going to come and take me, stuff me in my own trash can, and, you know, I won't tell you the rest, it's kind of gory, but that's in my mind, like, what would happen? And so I, uh, it was a legitimate fear. So I would run off my front porch and uh, I, I would throw the trash out there. Eventually I got to, so good at doing this quickly that I would go about halfway. Then I would just like slingshot it and then I would run back, you know, and it would land perfectly by the trash can. And then if you were to time me in a 40 getting back up to my front porch, like you would be like amazed, right? Like I would be, I would not be here. I would be on an NFL team if every time I could run that fast back up to the porch. But it was a legitimate fear. Like I, I was afraid. It wasn't of the dark. It wasn't of trash. It was of that someone was going to come and stuff me in a trash can and take me off. All right. And so it, it was very much in this first thing of an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone was going to harm me. All right. The second thing, a feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or the safety and well-being of someone. And third is reverence, the love and fear of God. And that one's a hard one to grasp, right? Like how, how is that, how do you fear God out of reverence? It's, it's just difficult. So if you have questions about that, email Mike at gracepointchurch.net and he will answer those. We're not going to talk about that today. So, so you see from the second one, a feeling of anxiety. You know, fear and anxiety kind of, they kind of run hand in hand, right? Like fear often leads to anxiety. Anxiety is 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 kind of the same thing as fear, this like welling up inside. I don't know what to do. And so let me define the anxiety. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. An un- uncertain outcome. And if we're honest, we all really have anxiety because we're not in control. We, we don't know the outcome of when we get in the car and go to work. We don't know the outcome of, of how whether we're going to wake up or not. And so all of it is uncertain outcome. And so, so we live in a very anxious world. And so, but that is anxiety. Number two, a nervousness or a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. And I know of several people in, in this room even that have had panic attacks caused by anxiety have have had these moments of where they just are paralyzed. And and so anxiety and fear are very much prevalent because no one is without fear. Let me throw some statistics at you um, in that 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 almost 18% of the population in the US struggle with anxiety. 
They have an anxiety disorder. And $42 billion a year in the U.S. are spent on anxiety alone. Through medicine, through counseling, through treatment. $42 billion a year. And it doesn't stop with just adults. It doesn't stop just where we are. You know, you're thinking like high pressure you know, society, we got to get ahead, we got to do this, we got to perform. But it, it moves on to high schoolers, to teenagers. In, in the teenage stratosphere, 25.8% have self-harm because of anxiety and depression. One in 12 teenagers have attempted suicide. The suicide attempts in the U.S. are highest amongst this demographic, the 13 to 17 years old. And one in five teenagers are clinic, clinically depressed. And so, In this culture where stress and anxiety and fear encapsulate us, it's affecting every demographic. And I wish it stopped there. I wish that 13 was the cutoff, but the reality of it is it's even affecting children. And so in the last three or in three years, there was an increase of 117% in counseling with children where they express suicidal thoughts and children. One in 10 children have actually, from ages 5 to 16, have actually suffered from a diagnosable mental health disorder. And children as young as 6 years old have committed suicide in the U.S. Man, this fear, this anxiety, the stress in this culture is very prevalent. And we have to, to realize that, that that's, it's common no one is without fear. I read this in the Journal of Adolescent Health that, that social pressures and expectations are fueling the rise of mental health problems in children. Childhood seems to be more stressful than ever due to a greater emphasis on exams and grades, the rise of social media and cyberbullying, and the media's portrayal of body image. Girls as young as six are dieting. And the number of school children at risk of emotional problems has risen sharply. Guys, I, I live in this world from, from, from week to week. And I know, man, when I was in high school, I didn't care about like a whole lot. You know, like I had a really good time in high school. I had to work and, you know, make good grades. But, man, it is unreal, the pressure that, that teenagers, that children are feeling at a very young age because of an emphasis on exams and grades and testing and and body image and social media and trying to compare to the rest of the world in a very fake social media filtered life. It is unreal. And so fear has infiltrated every single demographic, every single area of our lives. And, And what you need to know, first of all, is that fear is common. Fear is common. It's everywhere. Because here's the deal. Fear tricks us, actually. It fools us into thinking that we're the only one dealing with fear and stress and anxiety. Right? It says that, like, you're the only one. Why are you afraid? Why are you stressed out? Why are you anxious? You're the only one. That's what fear does. It tricks us. But the reality of it is it's so common. And every single one of you probably wrote down a a legitimate fear that you're facing right now. It's common. And guess what? Because it's common... God, who is sovereign over everything, decided to give us some, some, you know, some power against fear, some, some musings into what fear looks like. And so fear is a very common theme in Scripture, not only indirectly, but directly. 
And so God tells us over and over again, and, and I want you to take comfort in this, that I'm about to share some stories <coughs> of some giants of the faith, of some giants of the faith that we all know, their household names, they, you've read Bible stories about them, and, and yet they struggle with fear. The first one is Moses. <coughs> Moses, whenever he came upon the burning bush where God was talking, number one, that would freak you out, Right? But he, he wasn't scared of that. You know, he wasn't, that wasn't at the end of the conversation what got him. Actually, if you read in Exodus chapter 3, it was the thought of going before Pharaoh because he had a speech impediment. He did not speak eloquently. That struck him with fear. He's like, I can't do that. And he was afraid to go before Pharaoh with the message that God gave him. Jonah chapter 1, the whole reason he was in the belly of a well because, was because God gave him this message, this prophecy to go speak to the Ninevites. And he was like, wait a minute, they're kind of scary. I don't, I don't want to do that. They're, they kill people. Like, what are you talking about? So he ran. And he got on a boat and he tried to go away. He was afraid of what the outcome might be from the message of God, the God who sent him there. Elijah, in Exodus or, yeah, in First Kings chapter 18, we see Elijah coming in, displaying this power of the work of God, defeating and mocking all of the prophets of Baal who could not get fire to consume their sacrifices, their offerings. And God comes in after Elijah pouring water and dousing this thing with water. God comes in, lights the fire, and then Elijah in victory just kills all the prophets of Baal. Really epic story. But right after that, chapter 19, Queen Jezebel comes in and says, you know what? By this time tomorrow, your head will be mine. And he makes a threat. And Elijah, who just witnessed this great power, runs and he flees in fear for his life. Go on to the New Testament, the rich young ruler faced in Matthew chapter 19 with this, this offer to follow God. What does it take, God, to follow you? And God said, you know what? Keep my commandments. I have. You only lack one thing. Sell all your possessions and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away because he was scared that he would lose his earthly possessions because he was a man of great wealth. The church, in, or the, the church that we're built on, we, we exist right now. Because on Peter, the rock, Jesus built his church. And Peter was a guy who walked with Jesus. But we read this account about Peter in John chapter 18 that people come to him after Jesus' arrest and say, Hey, aren't you the guy that walked with Jesus? Aren't you the guy that was with the guy that just arrested? No, that's not me. <coughs> because he was afraid of what people, that people might identify him or hurt him or arrest him too. Lastly, and I'm sorry I'm sick, so I'm making it through. But anyways, the church in Thessalonica was a, a, a church that, that really struggled with the end times. Really struggled with the end times. Maybe that's God calling to say that we're in the end times now. <clears throat> they really struggled. They, they, they had all these questions. And, and first of all, in First Thessalonians, they struggled with, okay, all the people that died before us, our ancestors, like what happens to them? Like are they not going to get like get to join us in heaven. And, and Paul comes around like, why do you fear? Like, why are you fearful right now? No, of course they are. Christ died for all. Those who had 
already fallen asleep, those who are currently living, and those who will live. And then come back just a chapter later or a letter later, they're again struggling in, in this end times mentality of like, I, I think we've missed it. We, we had to have missed the rapture. Like, what, what if we missed it? And, and Paul comes back around like, why are you fearing? No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows. So, so stop fearing and trust that God is coming. That's all you need to know. And so fear is a common theme in scripture. It's littered throughout because God knew, God knew that we would be in a fearful and anxious culture. And he equipped us with truth and stories. And not only indirectly, directly, but directly. 366 times in scripture it tells us to fear not. To not fear. One for every day, including this past Monday, which is the leap year. You think God forgot about that now? It's like, I know there's going to be a leap year. Here's one for that one too. And so over and over again, God reminds us and he says, you know what? I am in control. I am telling you, do not fear because I am big enough. I am strong enough and I have already proven myself. I already have victory. And so what does, if we live in fear and anxiety and stress, what does it do to us? What does that bring about the, the most common thing for me is that it tricks us into living a boring life. This is the most disheartening thing, that it tricks us into living a boring life. And I'm not talking about like you will not skydive because of fear, like you won't have this epic selfie of you jumping off a bridge, like bungee jumping. Like that's not what I'm talking about. That's not the boring life because the boring, what I'm talking about is that God, as believers, has, has given us all a purpose He's given us all a mission, and through that purpose, through that mission, what he's called us to gives us life abundantly, gives us joy abundantly, gives us so many epic moments, experience God Almighty working through us. Yet because of fear, and because of stress, and because of anxiety, we don't join God in that work. We're afraid of what the outcome might be. What if we screw up? What if we can't speak properly? What if they judge us or hurt us. And so it tricks us into living this boring life. Last week, our speaker talked about name tag theology, that we think that we can wear the name Christian and that's enough. Like we're just identified as a Christian. Hey, I'm Christian. No, every name is actually an identity. The the word Christian is actually an identity that you have and every identity comes with a specific mission to live out the great commission, to live out the Lord's Prayer, which says that, that you should pray this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God invites us to be a part of that mission of bringing heaven and his will and his purposes right here and establish a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yet we're, it, our fear tricks us it's not partaking in that purpose and living a boring life. Fear is a self-imposed prison, Rick Warren said, that will keep you from becoming what God intends for you to be. You must move against it with the weapons of faith and of love. It's a self-imposed prison. Instead of working for the kingdom, you end up being shackled by your own fear, by your own stress, by your own worry of what the outcome might be. And here's the deal. We tend to fight for a victory 
right, to, to, to fight for a victory, that we can bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We're fighting for a victory, but the reality of it is is that we are fighting from a victory. That victory's already been won. The work has already been done on the cross, and Jesus is saying, you know what? Just finish the work. Just finish the work. I've already moved in power. I've already died on the cross for you. Would you just finish the work and be my people? Get in the game. But so often fear tricks us into not even getting in the game, but living a boring life where we come to church on Sunday, where we might read our Bible every once in a while, and where we just kind of say the Christian phrases. But God is saying, you know what? I've equipped you to be warriors for my kingdom. Would you join me? Would you join me? And so the second thing that we need to know about fear is that it is not from God. Fear is not from God. He did not strike us with fear so that we could follow him. He does not really practice the whole hellfire and brimstone like on the street corners, like turn or burn. No, he draws us in with loving kindness. He calls us by his grace. And he says, you know what? My cross is, is proving that I love you. Would you join me? I'm not going to make you afraid and try to shame you into joining me. I love you. You're my creation. So if it's not from God, then the only correct response, right? You know, f- first of all, like for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. So we know it's not from God. The spirit that lives inside of us is not fear, right? It's not, it's not afraid. It comes with power. So if it's not from God, who's it from? The enemy, The devil, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Be alert and sober mind that your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. You see, the devil operates under striking fear into people, waiting to consume us with our own stress and our own, this this own anxiety Stephen Furtick said it like this, if the devil can't defeat you, then he'll distract you. He'll take your eyes off the work of the cross and put it on your own inabilities. He'll take your eyes off the grace of Jesus Christ and put it on all your failures. He'll take your eyes off of the God who is powerful and mighty and put it on your own strength. If the devil can't defeat you, then he'll distract you. Because his end game is this, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want you to have abundant life. That's Jesus. He doesn't want you to, to, to be in God's purposes. That's Jesus. He wants to still kill, and destroy you. And the last great frontier where the devil tends to operate is in the battlefield of our mind. See, Satan has a really good way of getting into our, our heads, Right? And, and saying all the things that we're not, all the ways we fall short, how we're not worthy, how we've screwed up, how we, sh- we shouldn't even be loved by a Savior. And so the enemy comes in and he distracts us. He puts these thoughts, these evil thoughts in our mind. And that is the last great frontier of spiritual warfare. Satan is very good at it. He's kind of made a living on it, distracting us from God by putting these thoughts in our mind. And you've probably experienced that. And that's why God, again, in his sovereignty, knew that. He knew how the devil would operate because guess what? He created him. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some battles or give you some weapons to, to fight against that. 2 Corinthians 10, speaking of politics, or 2 Corinthians 10. 
For though we walk in flesh, though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh and according to flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, raised against truth, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, the devil comes in and he tries to distract you, he tries to get in your head, but we have to, we're called to take every thought captive and say, you know what, I'm holding that against truth and the knowledge of God, and that's just, it could not be further from the truth. Hold every thought captive. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, his good an acceptable and perfect will. By the renewal of your mind, see, we have to, because we live in this, this, this worldview, the schema of the world, where it says one thing, but then we meet this Savior who transforms us and says, I've made you a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now renew your mind. Stop being distracted by what the world says. Rest in my truth. And so, Honestly, your, your fear reveals your worldview. What, what is your standard operating procedure? In what way are you looking at the world? Is it, is it that this world is very much like this is it? Like this is the end when I die, like that's it? Or are you operating in the worldview that there is an eternity and that that the light momentary affliction that you're, you're experiencing here is giving way to an eternal weight of glory to come. What worldview are you operating in? Because if you fear the world, you fear man, you fear outcomes of your actions and not just God, then you're going to live a life of, of that where you're just paralyzed and anxious and stressed out. The remarkable thing Donald Miller says about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. See, if you have a healthy fear of God, knowing that he is who he says he is, and he has come in, and he has transformed our life, and he has actually won a victory, take heart, my children, I have overcome the world. If you live in that, then you start to, the other fears start to dissipate. They start to fade. They start to sting a little bit less. And so the, the question kind of I ask myself and that we all should be asking is, okay, if fear is common, if God knew fear was coming, and we have this battle against stress and anxiety, and, and we're fighting these two worldviews, where very much we feel the stings and the pains of life, right? But it's not about this temporal place. It's about eternity how do, we, how do we fight that parallel universe? How do we fight those two worldviews? So the question is, how do we fight fear? Number one, number one, we fight fear with truth. We have to fight fear with truth because fear is not from God. It's from the enemy who comes in and he deceives you. So we have to fight that with the knowledge of God and the truth of who he is. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teachings... You are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from pain, free from anxiety, 
If you hold to my teachings, there's, it's a really important part. Because even Matthew chapter 7 comes back around and he talks about, you know what, if you, are a, if you are a man or a woman that hears my words, that hears my truth, and you put them into practice, you will be like a person who has built their house on the rock. That when storms come, not if storms come, when storms come and the, the winds blow and the waves come up, your house, because you have heard my words and you've put them into practice, your house will stand firm on the rock that it was built. But if you hear my words and you don't put them into practice, you take them as, oh, well, that's a Sunday school lesson that I learned, but you don't actually play them out and live them out in the reality of your world, allowing heaven and earth to collide, then you will be like a man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms come, when the waves crash, your house will come tumbling down. So what is your worldview? Are you going to allow the lies of Satan and the enemy to destroy you? Or are you going to allow the truth of God's word to saturate you and build your house on the rock? Number two, we fight fear with trust. God's word tells us in Isaiah, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and uphold you. I will help you with my righteous right hand. <clears throat> I have a, uh, I don't do CrossFit. I know a lot of people that do. Um, you can probably tell. Hold your judgments to yourself. <laughs> but I like to think that because I have a two and a half year old, I have my own little CrossFit workout carrying, that I carry around with me everywhere, okay? You know, like, like having a two and a half year old, especially one with lots of energy, um, he runs around, he does all kinds of crazy stuff. He wants me to throw him up in the air. I, you know, do the medicine ball squats and throw him up in the air and do these things. Was that awkward? All right. So anyways, so I have my own CrossFit workout that follows me everywhere. And, and so one time I was walking, I was walking through Walmart and uh, being a real help to Brooke, I was, you know, taking care of Zion. And, and uh, as I was going through the aisles of Walmart, I was just throwing him up as, as high as I could and catching him. And, uh, you know, this is a normal occurrence in, in the life of, of a dad having a two-and-a-half-year-old son. He wants me to throw him, and he's saying, higher, higher, higher. And a lady walks by and, and says, you know what? Like, he really trusts you. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'd like to think so. Like, I'm his dad, you know? Like, have you seen these guns, right? <laughs> and, uh, no, she's like, no, honestly, like, he, he, really, he really trusts you. Because whenever you throw him up in the air, he's going really high, and he is just free falling back down to you. And he's like almost limp. Like that shows that he trusts you. And I, I started thinking about that, you know. And, and honestly, like Zion, because, I, because I've never dropped him, right? Because I've thrown him up and I've caught him every time. He has every reason to trust me, right? Now, if I were to have dropped him on his head... As a young child, he would be scarred, and, and every time I threw him up, there would be this hesitation, right? There would be this flinching. Is dad going to catch me this time? Is dad going to catch me this time? But he doesn't live in that reality, right? He lives in the reality where every time dad throws me up, he catches me. So what do I have to fear, right? There's this trust. So why? Why, when we get thrown up into the, the craziness of this world, do we flinch and not trust God, who's never dropped us, 
who's always given us a way out, who's always held us up with his mighty right hand, why don't we trust God, our Father, in the same way? And so we have to live in a reality that, that our God is big enough. He's strong enough to catch us. He's never dropped us. And so why can't we be free? Why can't we just trust the God who is lovingly catching us every single time? And speaking of love, that's our third thing, that we have to fight fear with love. The reality of the love of the cross, the cross that that displayed God's love for us, his creation, that he gave his only begotten son, that we should not perish but have eternal life. You see, when we operate under the truth of the gospel and the love of Christ, we, we don't have fear because so much of the world is, is trying to earn salvation, trying to earn eternity, trying to earn this, this reality of, of where I can be okay and I can make everybody happy and I can do this. But God says, you know what? I, I have this perfect love and this perfect love drives out all fear because I am love. First John tells us that, and he says, you know what? Not only do I have perfect love and that fear drives out, or that love drives out all fear, guess what? That love is perfect, complete, it will never fail you. John, or Romans chapter 8 tells us there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so again, we are not fighting for victory, we are not fighting for favor. It's already been given to us in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The fourth thing that we need to fight fear with is prayer. Again, a lot easier. It's like the, the Christian thing to say, right? You need to pray about your fear. But, but Psalm 34 says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. How can God help you if you're not asking him to? How can God come in and, and work on your behalf if you're not asking him to come in and do that out of trust? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful, because God has already worked for you. I watched a movie called War Room. A lot of you have probably watched it, and, and I think it's a beautiful picture of, of how we're supposed to pray, you know, because here's the deal. We have this fight as believers, as Americans, as people with a pulse that we want control, right? We want to control our situations and control our life, but God is like, you know what? I'm in control. And, and so sometimes when it comes to fear, we want to try to work our way out of it, right? We want to try to control and, and get to the other side. But, but War Room is a beautiful picture to say, you know what? The greatest work that you do every single day is on your knees, so go into your inner room, make your requests known for God. And you don't, if you don't know what to pray, or if you don't know the outcome, welcome to reality. So pray scripture. Pray, you know what, God, I need this promise today. Would you come in and would you give me this? So pray scripture. Go into your inner room. The last thing that God gives us to fight prayer with is people. God gives us people. Man, the church is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Again, fear tricks us into this reality that we're all alone and that, that no one is there with us and, and no one else has this fear. But, but people around you want to share your burdens with you. They want to lift you up. They want to help you. 
Proverbs 12 says that an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. What kind word can you give someone today to cheer them up from their present struggle? Start being the church. Though one may be overpowered in Ecclesiastes 4, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So God gives us all these five things to help battle fear and anxiety and stress. Which one today do you need? Which one today do you need to rest in? And here's the deal. The world, again, these two parallel realities, these worldviews, the world is stressed out, it's anxious, it's, it's overwhelming, but God, who he says he is, you know what, if you, if you are overwhelmed, come to me, come to me, and I'll give you rest because my yoke is easy, my burden is light, the world might be stressful, but I'm not. Would you rest in my love today? I say this to students all the time that when they're coming to me, they're freaking out about all these different things. You, you know, you have two choices right now. You have two choices. You can either seek or you can freak, right? You can seek or you can freak because you want to control. You want to, to say, this is overwhelming. I can't do this. So you can freak out right now or you can start to seek God. Matthew chapter 6 tells us that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and I will give you everything else. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Would you seek and not freak today? I'm going to invite the band to come out, and, and they are going to kind of lead us in a response time. And just like we have the choice to either seek or freak, it really comes down to, to one of two things. You are either going to have Faith, or you're going to have fear. You're going to have faith that God is big enough, or you're going to have fear that he isn't, that, that you are at wit's end, that you can't live another day. You can't get victory and possibly come out of this. And so with those five things that we talked about, I want you to kind of work through those and, and allow God to kind of work on your heart. And, and, and you might look at those and you might say, you know what, right now, I, I really do, I need the truth of God's word. I've equipped you with some scriptures about not fearing on the bottom of your bulletin. Maybe in this, this response time, you just need to read over those. And the reality of God's truth. Maybe you haven't been very trusting and you just to spend some time with God saying, you know what, I trust you. Maybe you're not feeling worthy. You're not feeling loved. And you just need God to remind you of his love. Maybe it's prayer that you need. I, in a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you stand, and I want you to pray to yourself, but also I'm going to invite some prayer partners up here to join me to pray with you, to be available, to, to pray through whatever fear or struggle or anxiety that you have. I'll be up here, and there'll be a few more around here and around the landing. Or maybe you just need to tell someone Maybe you confess, like, hey, this is the thing that's, that's really shackled me and paralyzed me. You can turn to your neighbor, and, and because we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus, or you can come and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. But respond in this time, because we're about to sing, and the band's going to sing over you a song that, that reminds us that, that he, 
is a fortress for the weak, the strength that carries me when we're on our knees. And the cross, the cross, right? The reality of the cross is what defines us, and it, and it reminds our hearts to trust him because he's trustworthy and he's big enough. And so I, I just want to invite you to stand in this time. Would you stand with us? And, and honestly, like, just take a couple moments. Read over that, that fear. Read over the fear that you currently have and read some scripture and respond in the way that you personally need to respond. Even if you want to close your eyes, I would encourage you to do that. Close your eyes in this time and just allow God in the silence of this. The band's going to play just a second and then they're going to start singing the song. God, work on you in this time.